I'm your host, Dino, and I'm here with my friend, Rob Menser. Rob? Hey, Dino. Happy New Year. Happy, happy New Year. Yeah, yeah. so if, if uh, this obviously won't come out today, but uh, Rob and I are recording this on January 1st of 2021. The possibilities stretch before us. So before, endless. yeah, before this year, just because it's timely, were, did you think that way, or do you think it's just... People are, are really touching that stone because 2021 was so challenging. Well, I think the reality is 2021 is going to be pretty hard too. Yeah. <laughs> like we've got a we've got a, a ways ahead of us, but it, but I, I, you know what? In, in like any port in a storm, if this helps people to psychologically feel like we're turning a page, then I'm I'm all for it. Um, I always was like, I'm a big fan of the like rituals of the, the end of year rituals, as yeah. you know, um, thinking about resolutions and thinking about the best bests of 2020 or whatever. And all that is sort of aimed at like the idea of turning a page at least. Um, and, uh, so I, so yeah, so no, I'm a, I, I guess I'm a believer. Yeah. I, I think I am too. I like you. I, I like that the ritual of the end and the ritual of the beginning. But yeah, I, I, you know, I was sitting home last night and I just kept thinking to myself, I'm not, I'm still wearing a mask all through next summer, probably. You know, yeah, it's going to be of, a while, man. Yeah. You know, it's not, I'm, I'm not going to a movie in 2021, probably. And I, oh, no, don't say that. By the fall. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. Sure. Yeah, you're right. Okay. But I mean, it's just, you that's know. a long ass time. But like, still by the end of 2021 i gotta think it may be sooner maybe sooner than that like things will things will start to come back and it'll feel it'll feel good probably yeah i'm really yeah i you're a little bit more optimistic than i am but i thought sort of i'm i'm grateful to sort of have made peace with a bunch of these things like Hmm. like i don't i i'm a movie person i really i really really am i'm a big there was a stretch there in my life where my friend jill and i would go to a movie every week and uh and i and i haven't felt sort of the pull to go to movies like it hasn't you know like i christmas was always a uh, the ritual was always my mom and i would go to a movie and obviously you know we didn't go to a movie this year and it, it wasn't even a temptation we didn't think we didn't think twice about it and i thought that yeah. that was that was a sort of a more of a consistent sort of internalizing of what 2020 meant yeah, it's it's certainly on the fairly high on the list of things that I that I miss, I guess. I mean, restaurants, movies and in-person reporting pretty much yeah. like, you know, visiting my family. Yeah, um, it's a fairly short list in a sense, because I, I was not uh, going out to the bars a lot. Um, but uh, but like, yeah, no, it would be it would be high. going to see movies would be high on the things that. I look forward to getting back to doing it again. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, that Tom Hanks, 
battleship movie or whatever that was that came out i'm like well that would that's obviously a movie theater movie yeah you know? i watched that i watched that movie on my phone did you and really? i got and i gotta tell you it, it uh it didn't have quite the same didn't pack the same punch i don't think right yeah and so you know it's that sort of thing where you're like okay there are you know thankfully no star wars movies came out this year so i wasn't you know i yeah. didn't feel like okay put on a scuba suit and go to a movie because it's yeah, Star Wars. You can watch the, we can watch the Mandalorian right. in your home. I have not watched the Mandalorian. Do you watch the Mandalorian? It's good. Oh yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. No, All right. It's, yeah. it's worth watching. It's fun. It's, you know, it's a little, it's whatever, but it's, it's, uh, it's very well designed. It looks very cool and it's fun. It's good. Right. And from, you know, as a Star Wars nerd, from what I've read is it's, it's accurate. It, it sort of fits the canon. You know, it's not this thing sure. where, you know, all of a sudden Spider-Man is showing up on the Millennium Falcon. You know? <laughs> that would be jarring. Right. So it's, it seems like it's, it's relatively an easy transition, but although it's all Disney now, I guess they could do any number of crossovers. Right. And see, that's the thing, like the, not to get too far, you know, into the star Wars bit here, but like there is there, I mean, when you call something the canon, people take, you know, there are obviously a group of people who take that very, very seriously. Cause they call it a canon, you know, and it's not. Yeah, I've never been. I'm not that type of Star Wars nerd because okay. I like I like Star Wars and I but I, I just have I, I don't have the, the thing that I lack in, in nerd DNA is yeah. the sort of like completist gene. Okay. I'm not a, I'm not really a collector and I, I don't. So it's like it's like all stories to me. And like, I like stories and there's spaceships and it's Luke Skywalker. It's cool. Right. You know? So like I, I participate in that, but what I lack is the, the sense of, of, of caring about what, whether something's canon or not, because yeah. it's all stories. Like they're just like, so th there are like these whole like lines of, of star Wars stories that are like, um, take place in these alternate universes or whatever, like comic books. Right. And there's like these what ifs or whatever. It's like, it's all the same. It's all, it's just, you're just reading a star Wars story. It doesn't matter. And, and but I, I know, and I know I it does to some that, people, you know, sadly you're wrong, but that's yeah. okay. I know, you know. I know. I know. I mean, it's okay to be completely off base, you know, <laughs> and, and incorrect about something. That's absolutely. You're right. But like, I, I, I am a bit of a, a completist <laughs> in the fact that, I, I have read the canon chronologically. <laughs> That's extremely completed. And so the thing is, like, the canon, uh, the like, the before the, the canon stuff goes back um, roughly 30,000 years <laughs> before the canon even begins. Wow. And it's like, okay, I knew I had crossed a line when... I have I have a list of the books in in chronological order, and that's the only way I would consider reading them. <laughs> you can map it out. Oh yeah, oh do, bro, I yes, it's ridiculous. <laughs> like I I know ex like I I've read the birth of the lightsaber, you know. Nice. I've read the birth of when they got those crystals, and it's just like I I I've the book I'm reading now is is. Uh, it's a book where the Jedi's are still using, or they're not even Jedi's yet, but they're using actual swords, physical swords. So, yeah, it's 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 a problem. Prehistoric, but, uh, prehistoric. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and the thing is, what's fun is it's really hard to resolve it because they have space travel, but they're <laughs> using swords. 
I'm like, what the holy shit? Yeah, there are some. You know, yeah. yeah. But anyway, all right. So let's let's actually do the podcast. So obviously, there have been a couple of podcasts in a row where I'm talking to my writer friends, um, or you know, people that write either intensely recreationally or or, or professionally. And so, um, I'd like it if if you could start and just tell us a little bit about who you are, like sure. proper podcasts do. Sure, sure, sure. Um... My name is Rob Menser. Uh, so I'm a reporter for Wisconsin Public Radio. Um, I am based in Wausau, where I have lived for going on 15 years, 14 years. And uh, I was for a, most of that time, I was a reporter and then an editor with the Wausau Daily Herald and the Gannett newspapers in Wisconsin. And then for just about two years, uh, I've been a, a reporter with with WPR radio guy. So um, being being a completist and having opened the chronological door a little bit. Sure. Um, do you remember when like sort of your first memory of you writing anything? Well, so I remember here's the and this is going to be this is this is interesting maybe what i remember is not i don't so much remember my first uh first writing or whatever but i remember that i won an award in second grade for an essay contest called peoria shines and i think i was second place or third place or something i think i was but i but i placed and i got to meet the mayor of peoria oh. and uh and i had written about what was great about this the city and um and how the the uh, um, there was a, a Cubs franchise, minor league franchise there and stuff. And uh, and so what I remember was getting this positive attention around something that I had written and feeling like, oh, this is like something that I'm good at and uh, and that and that I can like get attention for. And so that's that's not it's not like literally my first certainly it's not the first thing I wrote or the first writing thing, but it is like, I do feel like it's sort of a milestone in my, uh, in my path of becoming a writer because it was like, Hey, everybody's like congratulating me. I'm like shaking hands with the mayor. Yeah. I, I was, you know, seven years old or something. Right. Exactly. I want to, I, I won an award or a literary award in seventh grade for the best short story in my junior high, uh, literary mm -hmm. magazine. And uh, so, I, you know, that's sort of, yeah, yeah exactly. No, I, you're like, okay, I, hold on. Wait. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. And, and like as a kid who was not very good at sports, um, I was, you know, I, I was not like the world's biggest nerd, but I was somewhat somewhat uh of a of a nerd and a, a yeah not a total outcast like i had friends but i but i worried about fitting in and stuff i guess a lot of everyone does and um and so it became clear to me that i you know i wasn't going to be the best basketball player but like maybe i was one of the better writers um in my in my class and that sort of it just became kind of my thing in that way yeah did you guys have a high school newspaper there was a high school newspaper um, and I was not on it. I was on the high school literary magazine. Right. Um, and in fact, I didn't come to be a journalist or think of being a journalist until later, like my, my 20s, I guess. I, I sort of thought of it. it. It's funny. I I thought of I always I thought of journalism as kind of um, normie work. 
Uh, and I was a literary type, you know what I mean? I was like a punk rock kid and like a, a short story writer. I was like a, a, a writer writer. And I, I saw journalism as kind of like a lesser, lesser form. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Same way. Say absolutely the same thing. So, so then, um, yeah. So then what role, so this is, this is two pronged, I think. But what role does writing play in your life today? Well, and it's so it's, it's two and it's sort of two things, just mm-hmm. professionally and and do you write sort of outside of work? Yeah, so it's so it is my profession for sure, and and so that's the bulk of my writing, you know, of, of course, and but it's like um, I guess. I always thought so because I was a creative writing major in college and I, I didn't, I wasn't like always set on being a journalist. I was, I was a creative writer. And then I, and then at some point I realized that I liked the feedback of journalism and the sort of instantaneous or relatively speaking, you know, you write a thing and put it out uh, quality of journalism. And I, I found that I, there were a lot of rewards to it that I really liked. Um, and, and so, but, but I, I do still carry around the, the, the time and care that I put into thinking about creative writing and wanting to be a, a fiction writer. And so I do think that sometimes in my, sometimes I give myself the task of sneaking in some literary techniques, you know what I mean? Into my, into my journalistic writing. So writing a scene and you set a scene with true facts, things that were reported. Do you know what I mean? But you, but you try to try to observe it and try to ask questions that will allow you to write it as a, as a scene. Um, And so there, there are things I do in my professional writing, not every story, believe me, but you know, sometimes, um, that are, that are things I carry with me as a, as a guy who studied creative writing and thought a lot about creative writing. And then I do some writing outside of work, um, which would be like, I don't know, like blog posts. I wrote a couple poems this year and shared them. I'll, um, uh, every once in a while we'll write a, a longer piece, an essay that's not really journalistic, that doesn't, isn't really for an employer. Um, and, uh, and of course I, you know, I, I, I compose a lot of tweets. Yeah. Okay. So then, um, if that counts, I don't know yeah. if that counts. So then you, you <laughs> talked about how, uh, you know, you, you were, you studied creative writing in college and stuff. So how did you know that that's, just as far as college goes, how mm-hmm. did you, uh, because that's sort of, you know, in, in my sort of family's arc, being the first person to go to college. And then when I went to college, I studied poetry, which mm-hmm. is not at all what, you know, your parent or first generation immigrant parents think of college is for, sure. you know, it's like, well, you study fucking accounting. That's what you do. And <laughs> sure. you become an accountant and get sure. out of our house. Okay, Learn to well, code. Right. Yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to study blank verse and, and make a life around it. But so how did you how did you sort of decide upon creative writing? What was that? You know, what was going on in your head when you decided to do that? Well, I think to some extent it 
there probably was an element of of privilege to it. I was not the first in my family to go to college and we I did not come from a wealthy background by any means, but there was a sort of I grew up in a sort of you know, middle class, upper middle class comfort yeah. that uh, that allowed me uh, in going to college to not to have the luxury to study what I wanted to study. And um, and so that's a that's a privilege that in retrospect, you know, I am, should be very grateful for. Uh, and and I am. But the uh, but the other thing is like, I mean, it really was always the thing I was best at, uh, you know, writing and verbal, you know, uh, understanding words and and so on. Communication was always the thing I was best at and most passionate about. So in that sense, I don't think that my parents I don't know if if they necessarily thought like, well, he, he certainly will be the, of a rich and famous novelist as I was going off to, to study creative writing. But it was like that clearly where my skills lay were in forming words and so on. And, and in fact, it actually is true that English majors do okay <laughs> because the world is full of communications jobs and, and so on. And so it's, uh, I guess that's, I guess, but I guess for me, it was never like, it was like the only thing I ever wanted to be was a writer. It was like the only from, from the time I stopped wanting to be like a Cubs player, um, I wanted to be a writer. And so that was like, it was like not a hard choice at all. I had made the choice when I was, you know, 10 years old. Okay, so there, there. So, let can we talk a little bit about that choice? Yeah. So, so for me, the thing was, it it's very well defined for me, and it's just probably because I've done a lot of work to sort of identify it. And uh, for me, it was honestly reading the book Harriet the Spy, <laughs> and it was I've I've told this a lot. Right. So right. you know the the idea that Harriet wrote down sort of her daily adventures for whatever reason that was a massive thing that was that's my favorite book of all time that's the most influential book in my life and uh and really if i could get away with just being harriet i would you know and because at the time it was harriet the spy and then in our grade school um boys read the hobbit if you were so inclined and girls read Little Women, if you were so inclined. Like, it was sort of a cultural stereotype at Schofield Elementary that if you were a bookish boy, you essentially got in line to read the mm-hmm. one copy of The Hobbit. <laughs> and then as you, you know, the sixth grade cool guys, or that's not the way to describe us, but the sixth grade bookish fellows read the Lord of the Rings trilogy. You know, sure. and it's like, okay, we all had the blue paperback, the red paperback, and the green paperback. And the women read, or the the girls read Little Women and then the things that spun out of that. So, so what, you know, when you were 10, sort of, it's it's a strange sort of point in your life to go, yep, that's it, I'm going to be Mike Royko. You know, what right. was it that right. you just went, okay, here we go. Well, there is something about, there is something about reading, right, where the... Where the way that you can connect with another consciousness through the written word, 
I mean, it's pretty mind blowing and not not for everyone, but for the people who who uh, have that experience, like it's it's really um, it's really significant. And that was that was definitely me. Right. It was partly because of just the way my brain is was made. I'm not great at math, but I'm good at words. And so partly because it was a little easier for me um, when I started to have those experiences of reading novels and, you know, going places and, and connecting with uh, writers, um, it was significant to me. And, and then it was like, like, like this, it felt like something I could do. It felt like I could develop this skill that I had somewhat, somewhat, inborn you know somewhat naturally um it felt like if i worked at this like i could really be good at this and that was i wanted to be yeah yeah so then go ahead well i was trying to think if there's a harriet the spy equivalent and i really don't i kind of don't have one i i do remember reading quite pretty young quite young reading huck finn and um and being like super taken by the way that when Huck says, well, then I'll just go to hell because I I know that it's wrong for me to want to protect Jim, but I want to anyway. I remember it like as a kid being like, no, it's the opposite. It's the opposite of that. And, uh, and being like really taken in by the way that the, that Mark Twain had set up that the irony, you know, intentionally um, designed that. Like that to me was was quite uh, was a, a mind blowing experience that a novel could 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 do that could could say the opposite of what it mean, meant, but you the reader totally understood um, what that that alone. I must have been, I mean, I I don't know, but m- middle school or young anyway, and um, and I remember that being like really significant to me having that like understanding that books could do that. Yeah, I good. That's cool because I, you know, nobody really talks about that. But I, I was always or looking back. I'm sorry, looking back at sort of the two stages of what Mark Twain has meant to me is really it's really fascinating because as as a young person we take that in, right? We take mm. Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer in deeply, and then in college we we take Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer again in, only it's with this distance you know Mm -hmm. like like we had a professor who you know when he taught tom sawyer as the the celebratory success and then he taught 13 ways in which puck finn was a failure as a novel and it wasn't (laughs) that and the thing is it wasn't so much that you know it it was bad obviously he wasn't saying it was bad but he was saying that there are things that clemens did that just sort of weren't um, consistent or weren't disciplined or, or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but like, I, I get a kick out of talking to people who've had what amounts to conversations with Mark Twain. Right. Right. Exactly. He is one of those writers that almost universally that if, if you're open to it, most people describe it as conversational. Like you, you know, you just said, Hey, I reacted strongly to something he said, right? And it's, Twain is one of those, and I call him Twain and Clemens, apparently. Um, Twain is one of those writers that you're 
having a conversation with. But that's all that's reading like that's all writers to me. That's like a big has always been a big thing to me is feeling like you are are connecting with the the person who designed this world or put this stuff on the page like that's like absolutely look mark twain and partly just because of who he is and how he you know he was like a big celebrity and he was like a you know is very popular for a reason right because of that conversational and he's folksy but he has wisdom in there um and of course is you know problematic in all kinds of ways by uh as as we know now but so yeah so like it's 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 more maybe at the surface that you're have in conversation with him but really like that's reading like that's i i feel in conversation with that's like one of my things i love the most about um about reading all kinds of authors you know yeah it's it's interesting though like i don't have like twain is one of those writers where every time like you know you go back and you read certain books over and over and over again Mm -hmm. and every time i sort of open up tom sawyer and, and by the way it's the it is this tom sawyer that I stole from my junior high library. <laughs> it's the same. It's the same copy. Um, and so every time I open it up, it feels like I'm actively hearing what I imagine his voice right. to be in my head. Right. And I don't have that experience with every book. Like I think every book is a conversation, like you said. But you know, like when I read Amy Tan in college, I didn't. I didn't have a sense of that Amy was talking to me. Whereas I think Samuel Clemens, it just feels like my grandfather's telling me stories. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. And, no, and I know that's the, that's the mythology and stuff. But at the same time, it's also his writing feels and is different than, than many, many others. So, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. So, okay. So then when did, uh, when did writing decide, when did you decide to, to write for what I'm going to say, write in public as sort of sure. a, an adult? So for me, writing in public is essentially either you pushing publish or you giving it to somebody else to to publish it with your name on it. Sure. Well, so I'm going to say because I've, I've heard I've listened to other conversations that you've had um, on the podcast, or at least the ones that have been published. Um, You're the only one who has so far. And um, and I I do think that I. I, I'm going to be I'm going to answer this honestly, but I do think it's a, I, it's a little different maybe than what others the answers others would give or have given, which is I do not separate writing from writing in public. It's it's like got to be public. It's like not writing <laughs> in a way to me. And I, I know, again, like, look, people are different. I, I'm not I don't mean that in a judgy way. But um, but it, as I approach it, writing has always and forever been about trying to connect with r- readers. And maybe it's because I have a big ego or maybe it's because I don't know why um, that I, I have I have thought felt like. Like, yeah, like people should want to read this. Of course, I want to put this out. So I was when I was writing fiction in high school and college, I was submitting to the literary magazines. And then when I got out of college, I was submitting to like other, you know, these different literary magazines that that existed, submitting fiction and poetry. And then I started writing for the um, uh, weekly newspaper in Columbus, Ohio. 
And then I started blogging and I started tweeting and I started doing journalism. And it's always, always, always very much about like get, getting an audience, connecting with people. I don't, I almost don't know what writing is, what, what it would even be if it were just for me. You know what I mean? No, I don't. Yeah. It's like, and again, I don't, I don't want to say like, I I don't want to say that my, I'm just trying to be honest. I I don't want to say that that my way is is the only way or, or, or that I would look down on, on someone else. But that is the honest truth is that, is that it's like, um, the act of writing is about trying to connect. That's what it's for to me. That's what it's for to me. Okay, then, then, so now I want to talk a little bit about college then. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you were taking creative writing classes, did, did your professors talk about, I mean, the drafting process? Mm-hmm. And sort of, what, how do you use the drafting process then? Oh, sure. Oh, well, well, yeah. I mean, like, on some level, the act of writing is obviously is a solitary act, and right, you want to revise and consider, and not everything works. So it's not like I publish every every single word that I have ever written. Um, like I have, I have unfinished drafts and 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 so on. Um, so I mean, there's a there's a there's a solitariness of being being with, you know, it being between you and the page. Um, but it's like when I complete something, when I feel like I have finished a story or a poem or a, you know, or a joke on Twitter for that matter, like I I wouldn't like the process isn't done until you press publish to me. That's the way I feel. All right. Yeah. Yeah. See that that's interesting. And so for me, I was brought up as a writer and, and that that's both true and outside of kind of, my view of the the practice of writing, right? So I I have teachers and, and mentors as, as a writer who have talked about how, you know, the act of writing is the significant thing and then your decision to publish is secondary to your act of writing. And, mm-hmm. and people can think that's their own, you can see that your own way. But for me, that, that sort of has um, has always led back to this idea of the practice of writing, you know, as a, mm-hmm. as a practice like exercise or like yoga meditation. meditation. Sure. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I've talked about this infinitely on the podcast, how I've, I, I am a journal writer. Like I obviously Harriet despise a thing, but even more than that, the, the journal is a therapeutic tool for me to help organize the world is, is, is crucial. But at the same time, the journal also serves as a purpose, as its purpose is to write freely. And if I'm, you know, like if we're going to work on a a theme for something, you know, to, to sort of write in a space where I know it's not where I know that I'm not going to hit publish. Like I can, we can write in a notebook and that nobody's ever going to see that notebook, you know? And, Hmm. and it's, it's this thing where like we always in college, we would talk about how um, 
Vonnegut would wake up every morning and write 5,000 words and throw them away. <laughs> and, and it was sort of, you know, again, it was this thing where I'm not really a Vonnegut fan, but I like that idea of the practice, of warming up, of, of kind of coming into it. And even, you know, and I, and I find that to be uh, a true thing sort of in, in all of my communications. Like before, you know, before I before you and I started the podcast, we talked for five minutes about other things. And it, it sort of helps me as a communicator kind of, okay, hmm. now we're going, here we go, you know? And, and it's that, it's that sort of thing. But I think that, yeah, I, I, I do think it's, it's interesting that, that you write, you write for publication. And I think right. that that's cool. Like you're not. Well, well, it's also like, it's also maybe not, um, not coincidental that I did go into journalism and daily journalism. Right. Uh, uh, for that matter. And so, you know, like the, it may just be my, my personality or it may be what I, what I have learned in my, in my time as a, as a journalist or whatever. But, um, but yeah, it's like, it's like you're doing this to publish it and to publish it in a way that will be of some use to an audience. Right. And, and that is, that is the, like, that is the the approach that I that I take, because like with journalism, it's like the the point of people talk a lot about um, web traffic and pressure to get web traffic is is bad. And it can be. It certainly can be like there. Don't don't misunderstand me. There are a lot of ways that it that that it is bad when journalists feel pressured for clicks, um, which I'm grateful that is not really the case of my employer right now. But um, and I'm sure you but, just wrecked that for yourself right there. But the way it's but the way it's uh, the way that I always think of it is I don't do journalism just so that I can learn about the issues. Like when I interview people and and write it up, it's not so that I will understand it better. It's so that people will will understand the issue better or learn about this thing or meet this person or whatever. And, um, and so in order for that to be effective, there needs to be that, that, that other person on the other end of it, you know, and different, different stories have different constituencies. The story that has the, the most clicks is not necessarily the best story. Um, and there are different, all different ways of measuring it and blah, 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 blah. But like the, the presence of that audience there, like that's part of it. That's a big part of it. Okay, cool. So I, I've got two things, and I wrote down two notes here. But the 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 first thing is, it's you you sort of helped me to to get to this question. Um, so with the audience being mandatory, essentially, you know, or mandatory might not be the the right essential mm -hmm. might be yeah a essential better, better yeah I would way say to describe it. Um, so and it's it this is the core of what I've been exploring with people is why do you think you're the guy to have anything to say. Yeah. Well, exactly. Well, no, I mean, it's, to, it's, yeah. it's really, it, it's a judgy as fuck kind of thing. But right, for me, right. the context of it is, I don't think like writing is the most important and the most fun thing I do in my life. Right. And I have, and I am at a point now where, and it's part of this is midlife. Um, but I am also at a point where I'm like, 
nobody needs to hear from me. <laughs> There's just, I don't, it, it just, who the fuck cares what I have to say? <laughs> and it's, but at the same time, you're at the other end of that. And I, I'm interested, I'm really interested to know why in the, in the least judgy version of this question, essentially what gives you the balls to say, I'm going to tell you something. Right, right, right. No, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's, <coughs> pardon me, it's a real question. And, <coughs> excuse me, uh, it's a real question. And it's certainly something that I ask myself, uh, you know, it, I think journalism is helpful this way, because it's not about me. It's like, it's a, it's literally about the people that I'm interviewing. And so that that's a way to 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 square that circle or navigate that a little bit. Um, at the same time, like there is, you know, I, I'm still I'm still asserting that people should read my story as opposed to the any number of other things they could be doing um, or, or or listen to my piece or whatever. Um, and so. Uh, I You know. I think that one thing that helps to answer that question is also attention to craft so that the answer is not that there's something special about you or that you're so extraordinary that everyone needs to listen to you. But it is that if you pay attention to your craft and you write the sentences that you really intend to write, and, uh, and do, do, you know, be rigorous about your, about drafting and rewriting and editing and creating a thing. Um, then it's like, it feels right that to ask people to, to engage with it because you put that much effort into it, that much time into it. And it's, it's something that you can stand behind as a, as a piece of craft separate and apart from you. And it's not just about like, behold my ego. It's like, actually like there's four reasons uh, this is crafted in a way that um, people will get something out of. Yeah. I just, um, when Greg and I talked about this, he talked about the difference between a big ego and a strong ego mm -hmm. and, and sort of thinking about, talking to you today i i think and i've always thought this since i've known you and i think that this has changed as i've known you but i think you have one of the stronger egos i've experienced in a while <laughs> and it's not and the thing is i know i know big versus strong right I, yeah I, yeah i heard it yeah, yeah and yeah. uh and it's i have both to be honest no just kidding do you well, yeah, see, I, I think know. that there's, I, yeah. I don't know. There is an ego. Look, there is an ego component to it. And like, I think that my shit is pretty good. You know what I mean? Like, I, like I, I, I think people should talk to me when I call them for interviews. Um, and I think people should like, listen to my stories and read my stuff. So I, you know, there, I don't like, there is an ego component to putting yourself out there, but right. I get, but I, I'm interrupting you, but like, I just, I get, Tell, tell, help me understand, because I, I listened to that conversation, but I'm still not sure I get it. The, so, the yeah. big versus strong ego. Okay, so 
I think what we he and I talked about off the air, and I'm going to try to use as coded as language as possible, just because I think the dude might listen to the podcast. <laughs> but um, there used to be a guy who worked at this at the Daily Herald, not as a journalist, but okay. did call himself a writer. Do you know who I'm talking about? I think I do. Yeah. Okay. So that dude has a big ego Hmm. not because and it's and it's the example of okay so you just want attention you're not but you're not going to do as in opposition to sort of what rob menser does which is earn the right to ask for attention yeah like i remember the i i don't you know whenever it was the first time you got to hold the debate right one of the political debates sure and i just thought what the fuck does rob how does rob get the balls to do that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then i watched the debate and i'm like right that's how rob got the balls to do that because you it was seamless and i and now having known you for a long 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 time i think it's fair to say you worked your balls off before you walked into that room that night Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and that, Certainly and that so. in my opinion, that's the difference between big ego and strong ego. Right. Like you earn people earn the right to have a strong ego. And you, as you vocalized it today, you actively go about earning the right to want people's attention. Right. No. Yeah. 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 Yes. You're you're rigorous about it. You pay yeah. attention. You don't. You're not. I'm not putting out some slop. Right. That like uh, it doesn't mean I never make an error, or it doesn't mean that everything I I publish is like amazing or whatever. But um, but it does mean that the process is to really work hard and really try to like like really prosecute the piece and work through different angles and 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 so on whether it's again whether it's a poem or a a journalistic story or whatever um and and once you sort of do you know do the preparation do the reading do the do the the editing do the work then like yeah it feels it feels right it feels fine that to ask people to give you their attention like they should yeah like they should give you i they should read the story I, I, it's a good story right <laughs> like i know it is yeah and and that's the thing where but you don't know it is simply based on your big swinging dick it's not because i wrote it right yeah, exactly. it's not it's not just the, by the fact virtue of the fact that i wrote it you know right yeah it's it's because like it the story is good right but at the same time <laughs> if it is yeah. not, at, not that they are you know what I mean. right but at the same time there there is sort of not everybody thinks that way yeah right you know not everybody's like yeah i've got a whole bunch of swagger here because i earned the swagger you know yeah like, i mean a, a telltale i guess a telltale sign uh, uh, if you want to do a big ego versus strong ego distinction is um, writers who don't read a lot. Oh yeah. Um, oh. Uh, th- that's a bad, that's a bad sign. That's a bad place to be um, because then it's about you and everyone needs to give you their attention. Whereas if writers who are real readers, like real readers, um, then they're understanding that they're like 
it, that it's about engaging and connecting with the others in the universe, you know? Yeah. And see, for me, like, I, I know that, um, because I'm, I'm self, because I, my most valued social network is Goodreads, you know, like mm-hmm. that is the one in, in the purge of social networks. That's the one that remains. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and I'm able to sort of check myself by, you know, like I, I hit 50 books this year, but nice. I, I feel like an utter failure. Like I didn't read <laughs> shit. You know? I read 24, which is, seems like, seems really like a small number, but it, like, there are a lot of these like big ass history books. Right. I think I should yes, get some extra credit. You take on some shit, man. Yeah. Yeah. You do. You take on some shit. And so, yeah, 24 is fine. You know? <laughs> but at the same time, you know, like I, I hit the 50 and I, and, and I, I'm pro I like, my a friend Marcus gave me a compliment once. He's like, I, I could never read like you do. And I'm like, You're goddamn right you can't. You know? <laughs> and but at the same time, I know that my if if we sort of tear apart my midlife crisis here, a good portion of that is me thinking I'm not reading enough. Or I'm hmm. not reading well enough. Hmm. You know? Because yeah, great. I read another stupid Jack Reacher novel. Okay, that's time well spent. That's time well spent, man. Right. You know, and it's, all, but it's, I guess it's, you know, they're all the same. Yeah, right. exactly. It's all kind of the same novel. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And then for me, the other part of it is I write some really, really cool shit that I don't get to take credit for. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that, as you enter into midlife, um, that's brutal. Just yeah, for me, that's tough. it's brutal. And it's yeah, the the guy who who I wrote it for, he acknowledged what I did. And yeah, like somebody said, like I I wrote something that got talked about on Rachel Maddow mm-hmm. um by a guy who I literally one of the few people that I would do the Wayne's World drop to my knees if I ever got to meet him mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like an absolute yeah. unqu- unquestioned hero of mine sure. complimented a specific paragraph of my writing. Sure. And, he, and it was, it's, and I'm. But like, I, no one will ever know. No one will yeah. ever know. And yeah. I'm not allowed to tell, like, I'm not allowed to yeah, go but, on Twitter no, but and go. That's good. Like, but you put that in the world. Like, right. that's all right. Take, like, you can take credit for it without, you know, not, you know, take right. credit for it internally. Right. Um, I, like, that should be allowed to feel pride in yeah. that. Oh, no. Like, I, yeah. I feel the pride, but it's, yeah. you know, as I, you know, like, my big ego would like somebody to go, well, sure. shit, man, that was <laughs> fucking awesome. Sure. Those, those seven sentences were great. I'm like, yeah, okay, well. Yeah, they were. That's how awesome I am. Where are all the strippers? You know, like it's it's yeah, just no, that right. It's yeah, just sort of that nowhere. thing where it's like, okay, well, yeah, and, and so I struggle with that. But um, yeah, yeah, so, I um, uh, in my last job, I was an editor, right, m- mainly, and now I'm a reporter mainly, and I'm doing some right now. It just so happens that my editor is on off on maternity leave and I'm sort of filling in doing editing as part of my job right now. Um, and there is an ego thing where it's, it, it takes like editing the, the pride that you feel from editing someone else's story can be very real and it can be very gratifying to, to help a reporter, like get the best out of, 
this story that she's, you know, yeah. put herself into or whatever. And I, I, I think I have helped some reporters in that way. And I like I there there are rewards to that, and it feels good. But um, but I do I will I have enough of a, a the big ego side of me to really feel like, you know, like. I feel really rewarded by stuff that has my byline. That's the truth, you know, is like, yeah. I really, I really do feel a, 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 a serotonin hit from, from seeing or hearing on the radio, my own, my own name affixed to the end of the story. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so it's, it's that, you know, like it is, it's that idea of, of keeping that big ego in check. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Well, and, and again, and like I said, like there are real rewards to editing work and helping support someone else's great work. Like that is great. Um, but it's just, it's just, you just have to, you know, accept that it's not, um, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't hit the big ego, uh, pleasure center of the brain. Yeah. So then I just want to, I, I pulled up my notes on my phone and I just sort of want to, um, there was a question that I haven't touched on that, that I wanted to. So let's do it. How does, how does writing make you feel? Uh, totally exhilarated. I don't, I, I, I love it. I don't, there, there's, there's a certain type of writer out there who, who talks a lot about how they hate writing. And, um, and I just, have never really related to that. I, I, it is hard sometimes. And, um, I'm like every, every journalist that I know, uh, a procrastinator. And so I will get, I will back myself into a corner sometimes where I have to write a great deal in a short (laughs) period of time. And, um, and while that's not always great, it, it kind of feels exciting to me. Like I kind of, I don't know. Like I, I had this, I was, there was a big story that was important to me that I, I needed to get done before this Christmas break, you know, um, it needed to run before Christmas and it was big. It was this long complex story. And, um, I had gathered the reporting. I had what I needed and I had gone over my notes and I, I had been like writing it in my subconscious mind you know, so I, I had done a lot of work towards it, but then when I actually wrote it, it was kind of in a, in a, in a rush, you know, it was, I, I, I like woke up super early one day and got started at, you know, 4.30 AM so that I could have something in time for whatever, whatever. And it kind of came out in a way that was, um, like it worked and it was, yeah, it was totally exhilarating. Like I, that's the, honest answer is I, I kind of love it. So cool. I, um, I just wanted to, to parallel that a little bit because I don't procrastinate as much on, on sort of the, the bigger things that I write. Um, but at the same time, like you were talking about sort of having all of the work done right, and then just kind of stepping away and let it, whatever, letting it ferment. You have this. Yes. Just, I think it was within the last 15 days. I th- and I think it was a lot more recently than that. Um, but I just don't remember. I, I didn't, it's not a deadline that I was coming up against, but 
I had done all of the work for the thing that I was going to write. Um, and it was a speech for someone. And uh, so I had done all the work and I, I was prepared to write the speech and I just hadn't done it yet. And I went to bed and I wasn't thinking about it at all. It wasn't like, you know, I didn't like, I've got to get up tomorrow and I've got to write this thing. But while I was sleeping, I, I got up to pee once and then I went back to bed and then I dreamt about the speech and I got up and I wrote the speech. Yeah. And I had it, I had it all the way when I woke up. 100%. I had it all the way done in my head. And all I had to do was get to a typewriter or get to a computer and, and put it there. And it was. No, it's, it's so true. I so relate to that. I think that that is, and it was such a wonderful experience. Yeah, because you, yeah, it's like you a little, I'm thinking about it in the shower. I'm thinking about it when I take a walk, you yeah. know, like there, there I'm, I'm chopping vegetables and I'm sort of like kind of thinking it over. Right. And, 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 um, and so when it comes time to really actually bear down on it, it's a lot of the work is there. Right. And, and it doesn't mean. And so even as I described this one story, it's like so I, I did this big writing, wrote this thing in a, in a big uh, uh, a rush out of me. But then, like, there was still the editing process. It, it wasn't like I yeah. wrote it and then it was published. Like, it was still edited. And there was, like, days where I, I went, went back over it and I answered questions and I, like, rethought different parts of the structure. So, you know, like, there, there was still like there's a lot of process left after that, yeah. <laughs> after that initial, initial rush. But, um, but yeah, it's like, uh, but it's so true that especially having been doing this for a couple decades, you know what I mean? Like right. it, it, yeah. it, there's a lot that, that there's a lot that you can learn that you can, that you can do with your subconscious mind. It is true. Yeah, I think like, you know, like obviously I'm I'm a journal guy and I'm a, you know, I like to write on paper and and all of that. And I think that all of that work, you know, over my lifetime makes things like waking up from sleeping and having something in my head. Completely. Right, exactly. exactly. And, and it, it's only because I've done 30 years of work. Yes. You know, and it's 100%. Right. And it's and again, and by the way, there are still times I'm sure you have when you're in that sort of work. And, and I certainly have in my sort of work where you still like you, you, you hit a, a roadblock yeah. and there's a there's a problem. Now, this transition, it just doesn't work. I don't, right. This lead is is wrong. I thought it would work in my head and it doesn't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so like it's not like it's it's not like there's no it, it's not always easy or oh, or, no. this, or smooth. But um, but yeah, that 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 uh, sort of subconscious rush feeling is very gratifying when it yeah. when it when and it that, does work. Right, that moment when you're like, there it is, right? Yeah, flow state or zone. Flow or, state, hell yeah. yeah. Whatever, and, yeah, whatever the thing is. When in, I think that that is, I think for me, that's only possible as as often or as regularly as I get it because of the work that I've done to get myself there. Mm -hmm. No question. There's just no question about it. Yeah. The um, the the thing I've been thinking about, actually, for whatever reason, I was thinking about this a lot lately, is um, just the sheer number of choices that I make in forming a story 
um, there's just like, uh, you know, think about a radio story, right? You have to choose your which pieces of sound you're right. going to use. And so, like, if I do a four minute radio story, um, it's probably pretty common that the four minute radio story might have five, six sound bites to it. Um, pieces of sound, you know, quotes from someone else or whatever. And, um, and to get there, I have certainly recorded three, four hours of sound or more, you know, it's like, and it, you know, it, you, you're distilling down, you have to choose which, uh, 20 second, 15 second soundbite like will, will work and which is, which are the inflection points. And it's the same with, with writing the, the text story, you know, where you open, how you proceed through the story, which quotes you use. Um, I don't know. I just, I've been thinking about it. It's like, it's like a, it's an absolutely dizzying number of choices that go into it when you step back and think about it. But, and so when it, and so when it works well, when you are solving that problem or grabbing the right soundbite or whatever, I think that's maybe one reason why it feels so good because it's like, it, you get to feel like you're like a virtuoso right? <laughs> because there's so many other ways you could go, but you're going, you know, we're going this way. Right. And, and the thing is, it's, it's that unknown factor of, am I a virtuoso or am I just getting this shit done? Well, and like, sometimes it doesn't, well, no, that's, that's a good question because sometimes the, the choices that you're making are, you're making them because you have learned from your experience that this is the type of thing that we do at this point in the story. And sometimes it's good to like, question that like right. well wait a minute what if like the, you know like this is the way we would normally lead a story like this is fine and useful for if just like it's some shit that you need to file on a wednesday right you know but um but actually there like you should you should make sure it should be part of your process to like ask yourself like well wait a minute am i just doing what am i just like doing what is the the expectation of the form here or is this an opportunity to like mess with that a little bit? Yeah. I, yeah. And I, and yeah, I, I, I don't wonder that so much about your, uh, your NPR work or your W yeah. NPR. That was on, that was a nice bit of slip there, but your, your mm -hmm. WPR work, um, because you know, you are working with the, within a, a pretty intense form. Like there, there yeah. are, you are working within definite walls, right? Yeah, definitely. But, but at the same time, within those walls, every one of you has a pretty interesting voice. Mm -hmm. And but it's but again, it's a thing that you have. Like, if you were to listen to an hour of WPR just in the car, like you know, kind of passively, you don't always catch the voice. But right. you know, like I am an just because you work there, I'm an active listener of WPR, you know, and I've also worked at WPR. And so it's like, okay, so I can, I know the difference between your voice and like when David Green left NPR this week. Yeah, sure. I, I was, I was moved. No, very it's a big deal. You know, no, like, it's a very, it's a, it's a super intimate medium in that, in that way. Right. People know your voice and it's, right. Yeah, it's a big it's a big thing. You're talking in people's ears. Yeah. Um, the uh, you know, so the bulk of what 
I do most the most most stories that I do are are news spots, right? These short um, pieces that go in the in the newscast, at, you know, top or the bottom of the hour, um, depending. And and those pieces are about a minute long. And um, I've seen it described, and it it delighted me that uh, a news spot is the haiku of of uh, news because that is that is a very short amount of time, and yet if you if you work at it and if you do it right compress it down learn the art of compression there is a sort of poetic element that sounds grandiose and it's not like i don't claim that my my news writing is poetry by any means but you're what you're doing is compressing a lot down into a short few words and that is like the skill of of poetry in some ways and so and so that's the um uh, like that's just the, that's just most of my, my writing are, are for, for these short, uh, spots. And then, you know, you can write more at more length for the web story. Um, and then, and then the other form on the radio is the, is the radio feature and for NPR or, you know, WPR, our, our features are about four minutes long and um, that's a lot longer. Those pieces can have a lot more atmospherics and ambient sound and other, you know, uh, other elements, uh, scenes to them. Um, but it's still you're still making a, you know, you're still you're still crunching it down. The way I sort of understood it as a former newspaper guy is, uh, you know, in general, those four minute features, they're they're the, they're the type of story that would be like an eighteen hundred word. Uh, a newspaper story, like a like a decent sized newspaper feature story, um, not a not a huge, long, giant investigative piece, but like a decent sized feature. And yet for actual words in those scripts, you're looking at less than 700. You're looking at probably 650 words that go into that script. So you are still condensing a lot and um, to make that story. And so that's um, that's a skill that that I've um, uh, tried to hone and tried to learn in the last uh, couple years in this in this role. And it really is a uh, there is a there is a real art to it. There's a real art to saying a lot in a few words that is that can be very gratifying as well as a writing, you know, exercise. Yeah. I, yeah. You talking about it like a haiku, I think, is really cool because. Yeah, I really love that. You know, as as somebody who, you know, poetry was my was my jam in high school and college. And it was, you know, uh, the idea of writing in a form because the form has has meaning unto itself. Mm-hmm. Like there there is a you are making a choice to write a haiku because a haiku has contextual meaning to it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I think that that again, I think is, is compelling. You know, there's, there's a reason, you know, also being a punk rock kid and a fan of say Sonic Youth, one of the coolest things Sonic Youth ever did in their entire career was put out the Madonna record where they wrote, you know, 12, four minute pop songs. Mm -hmm. And then because they, you know, they said that the reason that they can make the noise records was because they knew how to make the pop knew, songs. Right, right, exactly. And I, exactly. the only way I can break the form is to know the form. Right. And I'm like, 
yeah, shit. Now I got to go back to college and apologize to a lot of professors. <laughs> well, and of course, again, like not to like what I do, you know, I mean, the the real reason is because like there's a certain amount of time for the newscasts right. and they're, you know, people in their cars are not like they're not like want, they don't, you know, may not they're not looking to hear uh, uh, things that are always that are always breaking format in this right. this free form radio or whatever. There's like certain expectations of the audience. And, you know, I want to do something that's going to be useful to the audience. Right. And at this, but at the same time, Ira Glass, not to, uh, I hate using him as an example, mm -hmm. but Ira Glass gets, got to break the form. Right. Only because he worked He'd been in doing, the form. yeah, these straight news stories for years and years. Yeah. yeah and before then he's he like, ever did Look, This American Life. I'm going to blow this up and, and we're going to see what it sounds like when I talk for 35 minutes about it. Right. Right. Well, and even those. Yeah. 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 No, that guy has an understanding of of radio form. Right. And and even those even the long form pieces, it's no surprise. Like they're very carefully structured. Yeah. And you better believe that there's like, you know, they're they're doing the same they're more or less doing the same amount of compression <laughs> in their stories. There's right. just more story there. You know? Yeah. It, it's, and when you look at it that way, like when you talked about the word count, let's say in, in yeah. a feature versus the, the four minute radio story, right. God knows how many words he, they are compressing on this right. American life to get to an hour. They are. Cut, no, they know? absolutely are. Right. They absolutely are because, well, because some of it, one, for example, I don't know if this is if this is too in the weeds, you know, no, you can just it, you can just cut it out. No, but um, but uh, but like, for example, like in in a print story, in a text story, you can say a lot of uh, numbers and and statistics. Right. And it can be and it can be useful to present like this was this, you know, there was a 45 percent increase from this number to this number in this number of years. Compare that to over this period when there was only a. 10% increase or whatever. And like, that's perfectly legible and, and, um, and useful, understandable to a reader of text. But on the radio, that stuff just becomes a soup, you know, and you can't go back, your eyes can't scan back. And so and so it's just not it just doesn't work in the form. And so you have to say it either broad strokes or um, or find other ways of, of conveying the information because you just can't you can't like give the statistics in quite the same way. And so that that's an example of how um, uh, it just doesn't like not everything translates. And that's also a reason why like a newspaper story might be longer in word count. But um, the other thing of course is audio. Uh, you know, you can convey a lot in someone's tone of voice or what the, if they're, they have a little laugh or if their voice is breaking up because they're emotional in a way that might not come through on the page. Um, and it can be worth it to play a soundbite that is that might seem a little flat or lame on the page if it if it can if the voice itself conveys something of that person. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think, hey, I think it's super cool, you know, to sort of examine just the amount of choices, like you were yeah. saying, the amount of choices you must make versus the amount of choices that I don't make. And, well, but at the same just, time, yeah. as a writer, I do make choices, right? Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. It's it's yeah. There, it, it's it's just something for for whatever reason. I've just been like taken by that by how how many how many choices go into making any 
sort of creative product or a journalistic product, you know, of any sort. Yeah. Um, it's it's like it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and then sort of, you know, I wonder just because now I'm thinking about it, how many choices someone like David McCullough either has yeah. to make or doesn't. Oh, make? my God. Because, oh my God. yeah, the book is 1,200 pages long. How, how big is that book before he sits down to write it? No, it's stunning. I, I read a book called, um, a couple years ago, I read a book called Post-War okay. by Tony Jutt. Yeah. And it's one of the most amazing books I've ever read because it is about European, the history of Europe from 1945 until 2005. And so it goes from uh, grain yields in Sweden to like French fashion to the, you know, uh, 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 you know, revolution in the Czech Republic. And um, and it's like it, the the amount of work and Tony Judd like learned to speak Czech and like was doing like you know researching in these like crazy archives or whatever to write this and like some of these things like they ended up as a paragraph you know what i mean it's just that that's just the way it is like the some of these historians like they're they they spend days weeks years just to get something that will ultimately be distilled down into uh, a sentence right you know? yeah yeah he is yeah, Tony Judd is. I'm, I just pulled up um, the Memory Chalet on my Kindle. Yeah, sure. And it's you know, and then there's that. What is the other book? Either maybe his significant other wrote it called The Forgotten City. Okay. I and don't I, know that. I because if I'm remembering right, Tony Judd passed away, right? Yeah, I think ALS, right? I think. Yeah, and I, I don't remember, That's but I, the I remember Chalet it was a big deal, and I think that this this Forgotten City might be because I haven't read it, but it's the, somebody suggested I read it. I think it might be mm. the story of kind of the last year of their lives as a couple. Mm. And I don't, oh. I don't remember, but it, Hey, I, it might have absolutely nothing to do with it, <laughs> but you never know. Um, but yeah, so um, yeah, we've been going for an hour and a half. Yeah. Sorry, man. No, I that's no, that. it's super cool. It's, it's really yeah. like, it's helpful as, as I've been doing these, it's, it's been helpful to sort of get some distance from my the essential question that I have is, you know, why the who the fuck are you to have anything at all to say? Sure, sure. And the in the in the bit it like I over time, you know, I've done this is my fourth or fifth one now, and each of them I take away something really specific. You know, <laughs> like with Seth, it was um, two things. It was just do the things that you like. And the other part of it was give yourself permission. And so like with that, like when, when I was a boy or when I was a kid or when I was in my twenties and thirties, it was all just, I'm going to do this cool thing, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm going to, me and my friends are going to get together and we're going to make an art gallery or me and Eric Swenson are going to get together and put on a series of jazz concerts at the grand theater, you know, mm -hmm. and, and 50 people are going to come, but we're still going to think it's cool as shit. Sure, right? sure, sure. We did. You know, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not everything needs to be Led Zeppelin at the forum where the totally. Whole world no, is there. that's absolutely right. Right, of and, and and you have to give yourself permission to go. Yeah, yeah. man, I want to do some cool shit. Yeah, exactly. I I want this to exist. Yeah. so I'm going to do and, it. And yeah. so, and and Greg was was the bit about um, 
you know, big ego versus strong ego and kind of having a, a, a better perspective on that. And, and I don't really know what Keith's was yet, just because Keith is sort of the outlier who, who from, and I think he's full of shit and I told him so he's like, I don't, I don't even like writing. Okay. Well then you're full of crap and you know, you're full of crap, yeah. you know, but, and then, and then this one is about, or for me, the, the lesson that I'm going to take away is, is this idea of, um, when we talked about, um, how you, you earn the right to want attention, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's not, you're not just simply throwing something out there and it, right. And right, it, right, right. And, you know, like I, in it, I'll use the example of of me thinking about, as in retrospect, of you walking on stage for the debates that you've hosted, and how that must the amount of work you must have done to get yourself there, to take that step onto that stage into that moment, is is the work of 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 what we do. You know, like sure. you do that work so that. You, you're allowed that moment. So you're allowed that attention. And so, yeah, I think that that's sort of going to be, and, and there'll be other things that I take away from this, but I think that that'll be one of the big ones is how, you know, you, you do the, you do the work. So you, you're allowed to ask for the attention. So, yeah, I like that. I can, I, yeah. I can live with that as the takeaway. Yeah. So, so, all right, man, I want to, Hey, thank you for doing this. Thank you. Yeah, this was cool. I enjoyed this a lot you know so thanks yeah. thanks for uh thanks for inviting me to um always good to you know speak about myself that's exactly like, you know yeah that's right. wrong yeah that's yeah. always a always good and i and i you know yeah that's that's right i'm, I'm laughing i should, <laughs> I should laugh louder because so yeah. that you know i'm laughing but yes i i was stretching as i was laughing so it didn't come out but yeah cool man so uh thanks for doing this and uh, i'll talk to you later all right, thanks a lot. Cool. Don't let yourself get attached to anything you are not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat around the corner. And we're on the air in five, four, three, two, one. Pencil. When peace comes, remember, it will be for us, the children of today, to make the world of tomorrow a better and happier place. We are beginning to be able cautiously and with our eyes open to encourage some interchange of ideas we have to start thinking about tomorrow i've heard that somewhere we must act today in order to preserve tomorrow and let there be no misunderstanding our objectives are clear